One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and brought to you alongside The Telegraph's tennis correspondent, Simon Briggs. You've torn yourself away from the glamour that is the media yeah. working room here at Roland Garros. How's it been going? Yeah, the laptop's been getting a bit of a bashing the last few days. I've certainly written more pieces than I expected about Andy Murray at this stage of the tournament, I guess... Uh, you normally expect him to make reasonably easy work of the first few days, but uh, he's been keeping us here till late, and that's been fine in a way because it's been good drama. Um, he's been very kind, hasn't he? Because both he and Emily, Emily Moresmo have provided you with quite the interesting story for the first few days of the tournament. Of course, Emily Moresmo did the interview with Le Keep magazine over the weekend where she talked about the reasons for the split and also just their relationship in general. Andy Murray had done an interview over the weekend with Le Keep before that interview with Emily Moresmo was published. Whether he knew about it or not, we don't really know. But then it was published subsequent to Moresmo, so it seemed like a sort of response. He said he thinks the reporting of that to and fro in the media has been a little bit unfair. It certainly seems to be upsetting him a little bit if you see the correlation with the, his ups and downs on the court. What do you make of it all? Do you think he's fair in saying it's been unfair? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, bottom line is probably don't shoot the messenger. I mean, Amelie uh, took a bit of a bite out of uh, his sort of on-court behaviour in her interview with Lekeep. In terms of whether he was responding to that interview when it was published, well, uh, I think it was Vincent from Lekeep did the Andy piece and said, this is what Amelie says about you, what do you make of that? So, yeah, it's a fine distinction whether that's different to him actually sitting down and reading the whole of the interview. But he certainly had the quotes in front of him. Yeah, maybe he wasn't prepared for it. Uh, we said that he was uh, hitting back. That was a sort of media um, cliche, a kind of catch-all uh, turn of phrase that we tend to resort to in these circumstances. Well, it was the title of his book. I mean, I know that was a long time ago now, but uh, maybe he only has himself yeah. to blame. Oh, good point, yeah. I don't think he chose that himself, though, either. That was uh, Sue Mott, wasn't it? The former Telegraph tennis writer who, who I now see around at, at uh, various events. Um, that's that's Andy. I mean, there's always a lot going on. He's finding that his behaviour is very much in the spotlight. And I think that is something that Amelie 
has brought about, and it's her responsibility, not ours, frankly. I mean, the quotes that she gave were absolutely clear. She said that uh, he doesn't behave the way on the court that he does off it, and that he, she found him complex, and she couldn't uh, see how to take the relationship much further. And, and to be fair, he has accepted that and doesn't dispute that, does he? What he disputes is that that is the reason for them having split up, that that uh, disagreement over that precipitated the split. I think he doesn't necessarily uh, dispute her claims that he is a complete contradiction on the court to how he is off it and it's very mm. difficult to reconcile the two Andy Murrays. But obviously he, he'll want to stick to the story that it was a, a mutual decision but I do think that ultimately she probably got to the point where she was not looking to go further and I do think that, that, that you know it may be more complicated than the simple Moresmo pulls plug but effectively it was her decision in the end that was my impression and what I've heard sort of from people around the game well the fact is he's a very sensitive soul he's now been through two five set matches two incredibly up and down five set matches particularly that one against Matthias Borg no one's won a Grand Slam title having come through more than three five set matches so he's got maybe one in reserve which he might want to save for the final how damaged are his prospects here at Roland Garros at this stage do you feel (laughs) well I I always say that Andy is the hardest man to predict in world sport and uh, if you follow his graph this year it's been doing a fantastic zigzag Uh, so we had the up of Australia, we got to the final, play well. The terrible period in America where he was going absolutely haywire and he was at his most wild-haired and wild-eyed and Amelie sat outside the players' box in Miami. Then suddenly, clay court, we're going strong again and we're beating Novak Djokovic in Rome. Comes to Paris, king of clay, says the BBC, and he all goes to pieces. So on that basis, you know, perhaps we're about to see a reversion to the mean tomorrow and a fantastic performance against Ivo Karlovic. So if he can play a straight sets win over Karlovic, it's a big ask, I know, because Karlovic obviously um, is going to serve a lot of aces, then there is a case to argue that he might be able to get back on track because those are going to be short rallies. Interesting to see who his uh, next opponent would be in that case. I'm not trying to take anything from granted. Could be Isner, and then you could have two short matches uh, in terms of he was saying the other day that, that they, they might be long matches in terms of time on court, but they would be relatively brief points and the lactic acid doesn't build up in the muscles in the same way. So two back-to-back matches of that kind could do him good. It could be Kyrgios as well in the fourth round. Now, that is a pretty daunting prospect. So there's an interesting chemistry between the two of them as well because he's actually gone out of his way to be generous, warm and welcoming to Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> which I think is nice, but it also might be very smart because you know it sort of takes away some of Kyrgios's, um real in a fire when he's up against the guy that he gets on so well with and who has defended him uh, on every of the many controversial incidents in Kyrgios's career. Uh, incidentally, Kyrgios um, performed a very fine moment of sportsmanship here the other day. Did you hear about that? I didn't. Tell me. Uh, yeah, he was playing Igor Seasling. He was winning quite easily. I think he was five love up in, the, in, in what was going to be the last set. Did they finish in four? Three, no, three sets. Three straight sets. So he's five love up. So he was winning and then uh, there was a, a fault um, a double fault called against Seasling and who went back to sit on his chair at the end of the game at five love and Kyrgios called him back and said you might want to have a look at the mark on the clay and uh, Seasling said to the umpire and they, they, then it was uh, 
then cancelled out and Seasoning served three big aces to win the game. So Nobody asked him about that in the post-match press. All they wanted to ask him about is uh, he, how unhappy he was about the fact that he wasn't allowed to drink his Powerade. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of stereotyping going on. I mean, uh, obviously we, uh, we enjoy his character, his... his uh, Swagger, should we call yeah, it? Yeah, his confidence. And, and, and the man has the loosest arm in tennis. I mean, he's... He's not just interesting to read about or, or write about, he's just unbelievably good to watch. So, And staying in my hotel, so stay tuned to the next tennis podcast for uh, exclusive news on what he eats for breakfast. Uh, we must touch on the other main contenders in the main men's draw, not that Kyrgios isn't one, but uh, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, yet to lose a set. Slightly different demeanours, the two. We must also mention the fact that Djokovic plays Bedene next, who's into the third round and is very li- delighted yeah, yeah. to be there too. So I've just written a piece actually about how this should really be a ski race. Because apparently um, Aliaj Bedene used to be a, a ski jumper. Yes, this is true. I do know this. But at what point did he give up on the Eddie the Eagle dream? <laughs> well, apparently he told Eurosport that uh, the boy in front of him landed on his face and uh, was carted off to hospital, at which point he had to walk around in a circle three times before uh, you know, finally building up the courage to put on his boots and go down that slippery runway. And that probably might have been his last outing, I should think, on, on, on the ski, ski jump. Um, but, it, but of course, Novak uh, could ski unaided from the age of three, and um, Tom Perotta of the Wall Street Journal wrote a very good piece last year, I think it was, about how important that is to his incredible sliding... Uh, ability on all surfaces. I mean, there's nobody else who can slide on grass, is there? But his knees, ankles have this great flexibility and, and uh, it probably goes back to those early years on the slopes. Do you see anything that you can particularly read into Djokovic Nadal's performances so far or is it pretty much plain sailing, nothing to be drawn from either really so far? I don't think you draw much from Novak because he's obviously been uh, fine, unexceptional by his high standards, but... You know, you know that when he gets a big opponent, he'll ramp it up. So I wouldn't have anything really to add. But I think Rafa will take serious confidence from the fact that he's won his first two matches for the loss of, I think, about nine games and in a total of three and a quarter hours combined, you know, which is considerably less than half what Andy has spent on the court uh, and looks to be really enjoying himself out there and just uh, thinking that he's got the... There's a kind of mental doubts uh, now behind him for a little while. You know, um, that's significant, I think. And uh, with each match, he'll probably build on that. And, and we're looking at a potential semi-final. It'll be the fourth year in a row that they've, they've faced each other here. They've been absolutely magnificent matches, so I'm sure it'll be as good as the others. Celebrated his 29th birthday this week, Novak Djokovic, with a gluten-free, sugar-free vegan cake. I don't know what the ingredients were in that cake. Kale? Cucumber? Um, Women's draw. It's been very interesting, hasn't it? I think everybody expected it to be interesting and expected surprises, as if, if that isn't somewhat of an oxymoron. Angelique Kerber out in the first round to Kiki Burton's. We've got Garbini Muguruza going very strongly. Svetlana Kuznetsova, who I've predicted to reach the semi-finals, going very strongly. Yeah. And, of course, Serena looking pretty untroubled. And yet, Victoria Azarenka out injured with a, with a brand-new injury, it seems. It's all been turbulent, interesting... Um, set up nicely for uh, for the remaining 10 days of the tournament. 
Yeah, well, I'm quite pleased about the Burton story. I think uh, you pointed out that she also put out the reigning doubles champions. Yeah, Kiki Burton's for the title. Yeah, well, I've become matey with her coach. Tell me more. Uh, Raymond Sluter, who's a terrific bloke. Uh, this came about in a rather unusual way because I found myself in Miami trying to investigate a, a, a murder. <laughs> right? Stay with me on this one. So, You've got a straight face, listeners. Uh, no, it's totally true. While I was in Miami, um, the story broke that Robin Harser had flown home from Miami, having been knocked out of the tournament with his coach, and his coach, Mark de Jong, had been arrested for murder coming off the plane at Shiphall Airport in Amsterdam. And he remains in custody with a view to being possibly charged next year. Now, <laughs> this left me with a, with a sort of a question mark, what the hell's going on here? So I wandered into the, the, the players' area in Miami and found Raymond Sluter and, and sort of stuck my phone under his nose and said, would you mind telling me what this all is about? So Raymond was incredibly helpful. I saw him here today and thanked him. Uh, so the Dutch, the Dutch uh, tennis players are quite a tight-knit bunch and very interesting characters as well. Does he think Kiki can win the title? She's a fantastic uh, servant in Fed Cup, isn't she? She plays amazing tennis for her country. Could she do it? on the big single stage? Well, we've seen some very unlikely finalists of late, haven't we? Um, I think she'd be up there... What's her world ranking? Is she in the 40s? Um, she'd be up there as one of, the, one of the more remote chances. But, listen, she's uh, giving it a serious belt, and she's, I think she's improved her physical conditioning and, and moving very well and doesn't have any pressure on her. Let's be honest, I mean, the women's tour, there's a lot of... Uh, play comes down to who's feeling inhibited by expectation and there certainly isn't any on her as she progresses through the tournament and Serena Williams still the favourite for you? Definitely yeah Um, has looked pretty solid hasn't played anybody of of note yet Um, but seems to be reasonably comfortable in herself again her kind of graph has been pretty all over the shop and you never really knew what to expect after she Lost three finals in a row. Was it four finals in a row? Going back to, I think it was three going back to the, the US Open. They lost in Australia and then in Miami, didn't she? Um, and missed a lot of tournaments with various issues, including a virus Was it that she, she used in Madrid. But then she, she looked very good in Rome. Looks in good physical condition as well. Um, if she's comfortable in herself, it's going to be hard to stop her. Especially with Azarenka removed cruelly from her path. Yeah, Azarenka was an extraordinary match to watch. And uh, she was getting heckled, wasn't she, by the Parisian crowd, who are a notoriously tough audience. Don't get injured in front of a Parisian crowd, that's my advice. She was trying to continue, and they, they were sort of treating it as if she was being a bit of a malingerer. I mean, she does have this slight... Blot on her record involving the um, famous Australian Open match where she left the court uh, with what seemed to be sort of total panic attack and later, later claimed that she had breathing difficulties, wasn't it? So there's a slight backstory there, but I wouldn't have thought that was necessarily in the, the, cr- the crowd's mind as they were kind of giving her a hard time. And finally, Simon, have your predictions... It sounds like not that your predictions have substantially changed. You've seen nothing over the opening few days as, as intriguing as they've been to really change your feelings about who's going to win these titles. Well, I did put Andy Murray down on the prediction sheet, but only for a bit of fun. <laughs> but uh, you know, So I'm, he says now. Yeah, I always, always, uh, always hope for Andy to do well. Um, he's, he's keeping us in the job, after all. Um, 
and uh, that's obviously less likely now than it was 48 hours ago or however long it is since he started his match against Stepanek. Seems like a month. Um, but obviously Serena's still very much favourite and uh, Muguruza, Halep still there. Halep's got uh, Naomi Osaka in the next round though. She is exciting, isn't she? Have you seen much of her this week? No, I haven't been able to watch any of her, but that'll be a contrast of stars, won't it? Because Halep will be grinding and Osaka will be looking for the winners early. Osaka has been my favourite of all the press conferences this week. She is, she's quite something. I mean, she's really disarming and completely unguarded and, and unmedia trained and yeah. just completely charming. She's great. I'll have to go back and have a look at the transcripts. She couldn't remember her coach's surname. It was a very charming moment. She just had a complete mind blank. She couldn't remember it. Yeah, Yeah, well, we've all been there, often while on the air, haven't we? Uh, I feel enormous sympathy for anyone who does that. No such problem for Andy Murray, though. I've I've already said last point, but I realise I've forgotten to put you on the spot and ask you, what should Andy Murray do about his coaching situation? uh, Up until um, yesterday, I I would have said Jamie Delgado is a perfect man for the job. Incredibly experienced, very tactically savvy, um, a a fine communicator who who reads people very well. Exactly the kind of calming presence Andy needs. And is committed to 40 weeks a year. Yeah, and I think Leon will perhaps do a few more appearances just... As long as this is the arrangement, he'll pop in and pop out a little bit more so that Jamie doesn't have to do every single match every single day um, without necessarily committing, Leon, I mean, not without necessarily committing to any more formal role, just be a little bit more present. And then Andy was still like a heavyweight consultant, I think, or a heavyweight head coach if one was to become available. Whether he needs one, I wouldn't necessarily say he does, but uh, maybe just for his own peace of mind. This time two years ago in Paris, he was without coach. He'd split with Lendl. It was just before it was announced that or, or, well, rumours were leaking at the time. Just before Amelie Moresmo was announced as, new coach, as his new coach, of course, he showed up at Queen's with her. He was, you know, at, at that time, he was pulling strings and making calls and trying to put that new coach in place. Do you think the same is the case now or do you think he's taking more of a breather and assessing whether he even needs one? I think the pressure is a little bit less uh, at the moment anyway after his run through the European clay court season went so well. And he, I know he is hugely impressed by Jamie Delgado, as, as everyone has been. Um, and I don't think there is quite a sense, such a sense of urgency. And I guess Danny Valverde was in that equivalent position two years ago, um, but perhaps didn't quite have the same credentials. He'd come from a bit of a different starting point than Jamie Delgado, hadn't he? Because he'd... He'd been Andy's kind of best friend at Sanchez Casal, hadn't really had a pro career to speak of, uh, also hadn't really worked with anybody else, whereas Jamie has been a very experienced tour player, 23 straight Wimbledon, there's no <laughs> nothing to sneeze at, and has also worked with Gilles Muller very successfully. So he's just got a little bit more clout maybe that, 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 um, than, than Danny had in the same situation. So I think the excellence of Delgado's contribution so far means the pressure isn't quite so great. Very interesting stuff, Simon. Thank you very much for your time. Hopefully we'll catch up in another few days when there'll be plenty more to get our teeth into.